Ah, the Greco-Roman world. There are many words that can be used to describe it, and gay is certainly one of them. From Plato's Symposium, in which the playwright Aristophanes gave us a myth about the creation of men who desire only men, and women who desire only women. To the 4th century Roman emperor, Elagabalus, who had a series of male lovers and allegedly wanted to get what would have been history's first sex change operation. Now, there's a little bit of controversy here that I should probably address. Who can forget Aaliyah's motherly concern for her son, the future Emperor Augustus's sexual development in the HBO series Rome? The theory many historians and classicists, maybe not as many as there used to be, but still quite a few, hold is that Roman sought of sex between men is like one big sleazy prison movie. All that mattered was that the real manly man was the pitcher, and the catcher was some kind of subordinate, maybe a slave, maybe a younger man. The argument goes that there was no idea of a sexual orientation. It was all about power relationships, kind of like a 70s exploitation movie. I don't want to get into it or we'll be stuck here for six, seven hours, but I think that's wrong, or at least not completely correct. I mean, yeah, Latin literature is full of jokes about things like thieves getting raped by a god with a giant penis. But there are also, among other things, Greek and Latin astrology books that talk about women and men being born under a certain sign who only ever want to have sex with members of their own gender. So, bottom line, I do believe the case that the Romans had no concept of sexual orientation depends on a lot of cherry-picked evidence. Plus, it relies on the... Plus, it relies on the assumption that even a cosmopolitan place like the Roman Empire, which had all kinds of cultures and philosophical schools running around, would have a pretty monolithic view of something as messy and, well, messy as sexuality. That's not true today, and most likely it wasn't true then. So anyway, I'm more interested in the simple question, did the Romans have a problem with two adult people of the same gender having a sexual relationship? Well, the moralistic, and by some odd coincidence really unpopular, Emperor Domitian was said to have gone after senators who had male lovers. One governor, Saturnius, one governor, Saturninus, was even thought to have rebelled because he thought Domitian would have him arrested for sleeping with men. Meanwhile, in fiction, the poet Lucian wrote in less than friendly terms about a woman named Magilla, who insists on being called Magillus, who has shaved her head, and calls another woman Demonassa, her wife. On the other hand, we have a first century poet, Statius, who wrote a poem mourning the death of the 14-year-old slave Philetus, the lover of his older master Flavius Ursus. The poem claims that Philetus was physically and emotionally mature for his age. He even had a beard. Also, the satirist Marshall, Writing about the same time, writes a reverent. Also, the satirist Marshall, writing about the same time, writes irreverently of a marriage between two fully grown men, Afer and Calistratus, 
but is sympathetic when he describes two young men who are lovers and suddenly die. This all brings us to Galba, who is Emperor of Rome for about seven months. Galba came from blue-blooded Roman aristocracy and knew just how to suck up to the Julio-Claudians, the one aristocratic family that pulled off the trick of becoming Rome's first emperors. Thanks entirely to them, he had a nice resume. But, like so many people, he turned against the last Julio-Claudian emperor, Nero, while Galba was the emperor of Spain. Was Thanks entirely to them, he had a nice resume. But like so many people, he turned against the last Julio-Claudian emperor, Nero. Thanks entirely to them, he had a nice resume. But like so many people, he turned against the last Julio-Claudian emperor, Nero, while he was still governor of Spain. He backed a rebellion that failed, but Galba must have been relieved when, instead of greeting a soldier sent to take his head, he instead was met by a messenger with news that Nero had killed himself out of desperation. Even more than that, the Senate had named Galba the new emperor, most likely because the Julio-Claudians were just too good at murdering each other and there were very few left. Galba was, to put it nicely, not an obvious choice. He was 72 years old, hadn't aged well. The Romans, who were not exactly politically correct about ageism, put on satirical plays that highlighted his frail, almost grotesque body. By the time he was emperor, Galba's arthritis was bad enough he could un not enroll parchment, and often had to go about barefoot. The Roman historian Suetonius adds the pleasant detail that Galba also had some mysterious flap of skin growing out of the left of his torso, which he had to wrap up in some kind of corset. When he was told by his lover Icalus that he was to be Nero's successor, rather than his latest victim, Galba was said to have kissed Icarus passionately and then, in Suetonius's words, took him on one side. And in case you're wondering, Galba never showed much interest in women. He married only once, fathering two sons who did not live to see him emperor. When Nero's mother Agrippina was interested in making him her next husband, soon after Galba's wife's death, he was uninterested. Although it probably helped that his mother-in-law publicly slapped Agrippina for her presumption. Suetonius's tone about Galba's sexual tastes is obviously disapproving, saying that he was interested in very muscular men. But even then, Suetonius doesn't make him look like an unmanly nymphomaniac the way Romans love to portray their least popular leaders, like Caligula or Nero. In modern terms, unlike a Liberace, Galba was more like an old-school Goldwater Republican. He made his slaves and freedmen greet him in the morning and say farewell at night. And when a group of sailors confronted Galba and demanded that he keep them in the cushy military jobs Nero gave them, Galba was furious that they would make their demands in such a presumptuous way. He punished them in what was by then the archaic method, decimation, killing a randomly selected temp soldier while the others were forced to watch. He punished them in what was, by then, the old-school method. Decimation. Killing a randomly selected temp soldier while his compatriots were forced to watch. Still, he had a pretty good track record as governor. 
he still had a pretty good track record as governor. He was honest in a culture where taking bribes was just thought to be a job perk, and Suetonius even said, so his popularity and prestige was greater when he won the empire than when he ruled it. The army hated him because he refused to give the customary gifts on the ascension of a new emperor. Galba just grumpily responded by saying that he chose his soldiers, not bribed them. The imperial bodyguard, the Praetorians, got a the Imperial Bodyguard, the Praetorians, got exactly the same treatment, even though their betrayal of Nero was what helped get Galba the position he had. The Imperial Bodyguard, the Praetorians, got exactly the same treatment, even though it was their betrayal of Nero that got Galba his cushy job in the first place. Meanwhile, the Senate could not help but complain that despite Galba's reputation for penny-pinching, his officials were lavishly corrupt. One of the very first things Galba did when he found out he was emperor was making his boyfriend, the Calus, an official. And it was said that Achaelus had embezzled more in seven months than Nero's officials had in 13 years. The legions in Germany revolted, demanding a new emperor and propping up their own candidate, Vitellius. Galba's biggest blunder was assuming that he was unpopular just because he didn't have an heir. He nominated Lucius Calpurnius Piso Lysianus, whose blood was as <clears throat> He nominated Lucius Calpurnius Piso Lysianus. He nominated Lucius Calpurnius He nominated Lucius Calpurnius Piso Licinianus whose blood was as blue as his own. In doing so, he was ignoring the career goals of Otho, one of his earliest and most influential supporters. Otho handled getting snubbed about as well as you'd expect any ancient Roman would, and Otho rallied the Praetorian Guard to depose Galba and name him emperor. Otho handled being snubbed about as well as you would expect any ancient Roman would, and rallied the Praetorians to. Otho handled that about as well as you'd expect any ancient Roman would, and he rallied the Praetorians to depose Galba and name him emperor. When the guards came to kill Galba, it was rumored that he only merely offered him. When the guards finally came to kill Galba, it was rumored that he only meekly offered his neck. His head was taken up to Ofo as proof. Since Galba was completely bald, the soldier had to carry him by his mouth. Ofo was now emperor. The most that could be said of him is that instead of three weeks, he only lasted three months. Wait, that's not right. Otho was now emperor. The most that could be said of him is that he only lasted three weeks. But we shouldn't restrict poor Galba to a footnote. He was not only one of the few Roman emperors who would perhaps identify as gay today, but the only one in recorded Roman history who was a bear. 